Maloilele, Talo Falava, Gelrana, and Fakalo Flayatu. I'm Benji Timu, and welcome to the Panthers Podcast. Each episode, we tell an all with those involved in creating the Panthers TV series, their inspiration, the Polynesian Panther Party, and how the movement affects our lives now. No my haramai. On this episode of the Panthers Podcast, we break down episode three of the TV show with director Veo Mafileo plus rising star Leilani Siasu, who took on the role of Dr. Milani and I. Thank you everyone for joining us with the Panthers podcast series. We're talking today with Bea Mafaleo, who's one of the directors for the Panthers TV series. We're also blessed with the company of Leilani Siasi, who played the dynamic character of Dr. Milani and I, and she's also the coordinator for Tabake Films. So thank you all for coming aboard today. We have Rosita Sua, who is going to be facilitating the session. So passing it over to you, Rosita, to row this walker. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you, Jenny. First of all, how are you guys today? Good. It's a lovely sunny day out here in, in South. It's nice. Yeah. Where is everybody anyway? I'm at the Tabake office in Newland. And I'm in uh, Papatoi Toi, well, Old Pep, out South. Oh, awesome. We're all not too far from each other. I'm in Mount Wellington right now. I wanted to ask you what inspired you both into the world of film. Well, I just kind of, I guess, fell into it by accident. I first started in the art department. I was doing an arts degree and a art director was looking for some Pacific artwork for their set. And my name got recommended and she came over home and she walked in and she was just like, oh my gosh, this is what our set needs to look like and yeah so I started in the art department on a tv show called Pacific Beach Street then just kind of as I was doing my degree was working a couple of days a week Mm. and um, just ended up doing camera and then the opportunity came to do some directing from Lisa Talma on the Polyfest series we were called the baby directors (laughs) <laughs> and yeah we shot a little sequence for the polyfest shows and really from there got a job working as director reporter on uh, tangata pacifica i was once a reporter in front of the camera it was so terrible it's so embarrassing <laughs> to look back yeah and uh, then just working for fresh and being a freelance director and then wanting to get into something that's a bit more substantial than tv so started on the old film train. Not that all TV is unsubstantial. I just wanted to kind of, you know, I guess have the opportunity to create things that were more flexible in the sense of not needing to be of broadcast standard. So yeah, that's that's kind of how how I got into it. It was a bit of a rolling stone. Before we move on to Lani, I was wondering, can you share a bit about how you came to be uh, a part of the Panther series? Yeah, um, I'm Tongan and Nua, one of the producers, he's Tongan as well. And he's he was very kind of pro getting Tongans out there behind the screen and on screen. And we had kind of discussed a few projects that we wanted to do. And I guess he kind of really believed that I was able to do it. And I think it was really just through his reaching down and going, hey, sis, jump on board and give it a go and so that's really how how I did it so yeah big ups to um, Noah for taking the chance and the rest of the team for jumping in behind him hey Joni thank you <laughs> and you Lonnie I kind of fell into it accidentally as well I went to AUT and I studied communications with the 
goal of doing journalism because I enjoyed storytelling. But then when I did journalism, I realized that I do not like tight deadlines. So it wasn't for me. So I ended up minoring that. And instead, I really enjoyed television and screen production. And so when I graduated, I was put in contact with Crystal Bainga, who at the time she was working at Māori Television for a platform on Instagram called Tuku, which was for Rangatahi, by Rangatahi. It was just creating content for them to enjoy. Crystal said she was leaving and she was coming on to the Panthers and she asked me to come with her. Then I've just stayed on ever since. That's so cool. I saw an interview of yours and you were talking about how this was your first gig. How were you able to do that? Have you done things in the past that prepared you to? I've always enjoyed like performance. Like I grew up quite musically with, um, I was classically trained in piano and singing and guitar Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And I also did opera when I was in high school. Being on stage, I found really enjoyable. Like I really liked performing, but I didn't really think I would have a career in acting I guess for me what kind of compelled me to give it a go was just Milani's story and how relatable I found it and how powerful I thought seeing someone like Milani would be on screen so I kind of just had no choice but to give it a go. Do you feel like you really resonate with her character on a level where you feel like she is you in a way a lot of parts of her are you? Yeah I think being a young someone living in New Zealand at Dani Samoa, it's like you're constantly walking kind of this fine line between two very different cultures and having to assimilate to both depending on the situation and, and who you're around. So she tries to abide by kind of like the structures of being a Dani Samoa while also kind of tuning into the agency she has a woman living in New Zealand, you know? So... Yeah, that stuff is very mm. interesting to me. I think what's beautiful about her is that she's very honouring of her culture, but she still finds a way to break the barriers of being revolutionary in terms of reacting to racism and, and taking action against racism. Like Polynesian women are very limited on screen, so it's fun to see someone who can show you doing both. So yes, very great <laughs> to have a character like Milani on screen. I just wanted to pipe in there because also for a Polynesian woman, especially being first generation or being born in New Zealand or Australia or in a Western country, a lot of us have lost our language. And so I always speak to Milani about that, that I feel like I'm 99% Tongan because I know everything all about my roots and culture and my history, but because I don't speak Tongan every day, so being able to talk to it everyday conversation I've lost it but she really gave me the courage and um, to stand proud as a Pacifica female and Tangata Moana woman that even though I may not be able to speak my language but that I live and breathe it and so she really helped me with my identity in that way as being like okay well I'm 100% then this is the way and she also teaches that in her class at uni as well so that has helped a lot with all of um, yeah, us PIs who were born here. Yeah, I feel like today people have thrown the term plastic around too loosely as if it's something degrading. What I love most about Māori culture is as long as you've got papa then you've got papa, you know? Like, 
it doesn't matter how much milk you have in your coffee, it, it's still coffee. I wanted to ask, yeah, what was it like for you as a Tonga woman and, a, and as a director, like all those facets that make up your identity? What was it like being able to direct the Panthers, especially episode three? I think I was really lucky to have a really good support system around me, you know, especially having Joni right there, who I know she was actually also a very vital part of me getting the role as well. Thank yeah. you, Joni. But also, you know, I had my sister, she was doing art department, she was art directing and co-directing with Tom. I just felt really kind of supported and, you know, being on set predominantly male environment can be quite intimidating being a female being a brown female then that's like the double whammy and so I'm not sure if I would have had the same experience if I didn't have the support systems like Joni and like Emily and my little sister she was also in the art department as well obviously Lani you as well if I didn't have that support that female support around me then I know that I would have had a very very different experience because it's continuously keeping your confidence at a certain level. And, you know, it's kind of good to go around the corner with the girls and go, oh, I got her. And then kind of like go back on set and be like, okay, what are we doing now? Wow. You know, <laughs> you need that safe space with your girls in that environment to have a little baby freak out before you can kind of like, okay, I got this. You got this. We got this. This is bigger than us. Get your shit together, girl. This is not about you. So really important, I think, in anything I do moving forward now to really load up with the support people. And even if it's not on set, it's, hey, babe, I just need to chat about this thing. Talk this through. Yeah. So I think that was one of the biggest learnings for me as well is to have that system in place. I wanted to talk a little bit more to that. I agree because a lot of the... Um, worlds that we navigate through are dominated by men and the film industry has always traditionally been male dominated so as a brown woman you know generally the hierarchy would be you know white man white female brown man and then brown woman we would be on the bottom and so that was what we did with the production was that we stacked everyone, the whole production. We all hired on our skills and talents and it just so happened that we were brown, you know, but what we found was that navigating that waka together because we all roll together, you know, in our family and community environments at the village, you know, and so we were able to translate or transfer that to work and that really helped because the content was quite difficult but because we had you know the people in place our village and our family around us and we were able to support each other to do all of those really difficult scenes. Do you feel then that there's a lot of pressure for you to always be at your best when you're in front of people because I know it's important to like have those moments of vulnerability where you can like sort of share those moments of um, like even insecurities. Do you feel that massive pressure thing? I think I've been very privileged to be given the positions that I have been given and I need to perform at a high level at, at the best that I can be capable of. And I guess in my life, generally, I try and do that, but I also try and make sure I maintain who I am as well and not forget where I come from and who has supported me and been in the place where I am because it, it is super super daunting and super challenging when you have so many people sort of looking towards you for the answers for the solution 
but I think, you know, staying true and being authentic to who you are and what your intentions are at the end of the day should overrule well not necessarily overrule but if that comes through then people generally will come in behind you and support you but there are a lot of egos on set so navigating through the egos is challenging but then it's also too like it's always a compromise like it's not necessarily that I have an ego but if I believe in something and I think that it should be a certain way then I'll most certainly fight for it and and I think especially in episode three with the whole abortion situation you know that was very important to me that it be it be shot and it be from a woman's perspective I wanted it to not be this glossed over situation because it's freaking traumatic it is what it is. So I wanted it to be as real as possible. And it was funny because I think like a lot of the guys on set couldn't quite handle it because it was kind of gross. It was full on. But all the women, like all the makeup women, like everyone just kind of came in. And I felt like it was quite an empowering moment for all the women on set because mm -hmm. this was their thing. This is what they knew. And it was being shown in a way where a lot of them could kind of relate to. You know, men do not understand what we go through every month even. It sounds like the men were really jarred by the reality of what women had to go through that time. And I think they're reminded of their privilege as well, but they don't experience or won't ever have to. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Annie, did you have any comments or thoughts on Rosita's questions about working in a male-dominated environment or how, how you found, did you need support on set to get you in a certain way with your character or help you through maybe some of the tough scenes? Well... Considering this was my first like time on a production, I didn't really have any experience with it being a male-dominated world. And so I think that was quite nice for me to come in and learn what I, like in an ideal situation, what it would feel and be like, but also understanding that it's not always going to be like this and being reminded that from the crew like I talk to a lot of the crew like very experienced crew and they're like yeah babes like this is not normal it's just gonna go downhill from here to be honest I was like okay wow. so that was like really interesting I'm just grateful to be working in Tavakia which have really strong values of brown excellency but also acknowledging that women have just as much of a right to be on set as men as for the really tough scenes yeah, Milani's scenes with her mom were very heavy and I took them very personally because my own mom passed away in the exact same situation. So reliving those moments was tough. Like after every scene, like I just could not keep it together. I was just so unhinged because of how close it was hitting and how real everything felt. And so I was very grateful to have Vera um, direct those scenes for me she just has such an aura about her and she's very kind and she's very understanding and it was comforting to know that when I was crying in front of the camera Vera was crying behind the monitor like that was nice to know oh. and then after every take we'll just come back together kind of breathe together make sure that we're okay and then go back on like I don't know if I would have been okay afterwards if I had done that process with anyone else I feel very grateful for Vera and also all the other women that I had on set that day, like Luciani, Janine, my makeup artist, Chris Wango was there. Like they crowded around me after the scenes because they knew I needed them without even having to ask. So 
And then like I would go in and then there'd be like six people. I'd say, like, oh no, give me space. Give me space, give me space. <laughs> so I'd be like the outer layer and then the outer layer's like, no, 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 she needs space. The guys were really like respectful enough to know not to try and rush me, not to try and call me early. Like they knew to kind of just step back and let the woman kind of deal yeah. with them, you know? So that was really nice. I feel like there was just like a mutual agreement amongst everyone on set. Mm. Which was, which was really lovely. I think Tom even started the circle off in the morning because every time on a shoot day we get in a circle and we kind of talk through the day and he told everyone to just be gentle and to go softly today. Yeah, and I think also with Tom too because he had just lost his mum not long ago. It was still a very triggering day. So, yeah, I mean, I think it must have been incredibly challenging to do that scene, all those scenes, Nani. So, yeah. I think for for us who, you know, not even just on the sister level, but as an actor, as an artist, you did extremely well because it was so close to home for you. So, yeah, we were very proud of you that day, hey, Journey. 100%. Yeah. It's beautiful to hear the support and, like, the intuitiveness of the brown woman on, on set. Like, that's so beautiful. And I can, I just love um, imagining it. I also want to say that it translated, like, really beautifully when I watched it. I was like, this is real. Like, she's feeling something real. And I was so intrigued by, like, where that was coming from. It has to be coming from somewhere. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate hearing all of it. I just want to say something about that day as well, because the real Milani was there and she was watching behind the scenes. And actually, were you with her, Joni? Yeah. But she, she said that she was so surprised because that's how it was for her. Yeah, it was hard for her too. And so, you know, I would just keep on checking with her as well. So... I think just with the creative process, you know, some people know about you know, that process, but, you know, maybe her watching, she wasn't thinking, you know, it was like a step away or, you know, it's fictionalised. But, you know, as creative people, and especially when you are telling a true story and a real story, you have to be authentic. So, yeah, she did speak to it that it was difficult because it just, you know, brought back memories or it was exactly how it was. And so Leilani met Milani and spent a lot of time with her and they talked about, um, you know, her story and they shared, yeah, stories together. So that's testimony to, yeah, Leilani's work, how good she was that the real Milani felt that, you know, she was telling her real story, her truth. What was it like for you, um, Lani, to meet Milani? And to, yeah, get to know her. <laughs> she's, like, kind of intimidating because you know she's a boss. Like, you know, when you know, like, powerful woman, it's, like, you get kind of scared because you like, I don't want them to think I suck. So it was, like, so scary meeting her, but she was so kind and so lovely. It was just so funny to, like, find out similarities between us and things like that, which was really touching. And even now I see her, I saw her, like, a couple of weeks ago. She's always like, oh, this is Lani, my little mini me. You know, we have our little synergy. It's like being compared to someone like that who has done yeah. so much people, like that's the biggest compliment. So all of those other scenes to Rosita. I mean, even now when I watch it, you know, I still cry at those scenes because the drama that, you know, Vera and Lani captured on screen, like it's, you know, still really tugs at your heart. It hits you right in your soul it brings up you know lots of emotions of whatever you're feeling on the day 
So it just takes you back to the time on what those people, the Panthers, what they were going through. You know, if you're a woman and you all of a sudden find out that you're pregnant, like all of those feelings. That scene where the couple who were the police, you know, the Barangi police officer, and she's like, and with that argument in the house, I was like, who has never felt that? You know, the way that she was like yelling at her boyfriend. I think that's why our show was so good because it captured, you know, the feeling at the time just what people were going through, you know. What did you feel, Rosita, when you watched it, particularly that episode? Was there anything that jumped out to you that you liked or you didn't like or you resonated with? So many things. I just had like a thousand thoughts running through my head. But I think something that spoke out to me, I guess, is when the attempted abortion scene at home. Yeah, that scene. And I think the way it was filmed and the way she was all alone and the way she was, like she didn't have her husband to depend on. I mean, that's somebody who's meant to be like her life partner and she had to go through that experience completely alone. And then I think just the idea of her running out and then having, I think her, it was like a proper interaction. Her neighbour, like she's had one, I think, before. So, but this one was like where they actually like made contact and like the neighbour was supporting her. And I think the fact there was no barrier of like race that stopped her from, or from them from engaging that way. It was purely a woman in need of help going through something traumatic and and there's another woman who um who sees that and probably relates um, on some level. Um, I'm not sure, but yeah, I think that really uh, spoke out to me. What was that like for you there? Um, that scene specifically. It was just very important for me that it come across very real and gory because it's always it's it is gory. I mean, like no one really talks about abortion what it really is like, and I mean to do it in that way is pretty horrific itself. But even just childbirth in general, it's freaking traumatic. And no one actually talks about what it does to your body as a woman. And so, you know, all that kind of pain and, and trauma and, and the blood and the rawness and all that, like I really wanted that to come through because you can't, you can't really gloss over that stuff because it's, it's horrible, you know. So, yeah, yeah, I, w- I was super proud in terms of I think all of that came through that I, I wanted people to be like, like cringe at it because that's just how it is, you know. But it, it is one of my favourite parts because we kind of saw that through all the way to the end in, in terms of it being as real as possible. Yeah, and that's what we wanted to really capture too because the feminist movement was, you know, happening all of that at the same time. And so women at that time, um, you know, they wanted to work. They weren't just happy with staying home and having children that, you know, we as women know that that is, you know, part of our journey. But they wanted to go to work. And so sometimes, yeah, when they were had become pregnant, sometimes for some women that can be a curveball, you know, depending on what their relationship is like. Um, and I know women at that time in New Zealand, it wasn't legal. They weren't able to go to a doctor. So some of them had to fly to Australia to have abortions. And, you know, you've heard some horror stories you know, women would do it. Have, have you heard, Rosita, they used to do it with coat hangers? So these are all these um, horrible techniques that they used to do to um, have the self-induced miscarriage. So they'd do it by themselves, you know, in the bathroom with a coat hanger. It'd be really, you know, messy and bloody and horrible. You know, women would die from it. Some people would drink, you know, like, the equivalent to, um, what is it, that drain freeze or something, you know. So 
drink all these horrible liquids, you know, thinking that that's how they could cause all these abortions. So, yeah, they really went to a great lengths to, you know, they were forced to have those sort of decisions. So I think that's an ongoing debate, eh? Well, that's the thing. It's ongoing. Like, there's still issues today, laws in America, about taking away that, that choice from women. I mean, men, they can just leave. If you have a child, they can just, like, up and get whenever the hell they want. Yeah. Women, they can't. Well, there's some, but there's generally women cannot just leave their children. And if you are not in a position to be able to properly care for a child and you know this and you don't yeah. want to bring it into the world and you're not capable of, of providing for it properly in the best way that you know you can, then for you not to have that choice about it is, is horrible. And, and I think that's something that we've got to keep kind of fighting for because I can't believe we're still having issues about it and there's still stigma about it today, especially within our PI community. And I know it ties back to religion and everything, but mm -hmm. the actuality of bringing a child into this world that cannot be looked after, look at the generations of trauma that causes not just the child, but for their children and the, you know the other children that come along, like the effects are massive. It's a tricky one, but it's it's obviously it's still ongoing and and it should be our choice because the only ones who have to go through this whole process is us as women ourselves. So our body is our choice. Do you have any thoughts on that, um, Lani? I try to avoid conversation about abortions just because it's so draining. Because to me, it's like, it's obvious. Like, of course, if a woman wants or needs one, then so be it. And so I feel like it's really hard to enter those conversations without getting wildly upset. Um, I don't have the time to educate other people. That is their job. Yeah, yeah. Um, making it illegal is not going to make abortion disappear. It's just going to drive them under and make them more dangerous, which is really just like the biggest issue. And if, if men are fighting or whoever is fighting for um, or against it on the base of the health and well-being of this child, it's like if you really cared about that then you would be thinking about the health and the well-being of the woman that is literally in front of you so it's just such a mess and it's annoying driving and seeing them pitched up on their corners at the lights their signs it's just like ugh. what was it like for any of you to see i guess the opening scene of this episode the third episode where it starts off with will going to his family's house and um, you get to see, like, the culture, hear the language and even the, the singing. Yeah, what was it like for you guys to be a part of that? For me, you know, obviously, um, being a Tongan, uh, I was super proud of that whole scene. And, you know, because my dad was in it as well, <laughs> which is cool. But, but also, um, you know, because my sister is, was the art director and stuff. And with Joni, we spent a lot of time making sure that the mats were proper, like the proper way. And, you know, there was the right mats over the chair and, and just trying to, I guess, honour our um, culture in the best way possible. I guess to just make sure that we got it right. How cool is it that my first like on-screen drama situation does have like that hard tongue and stuff in it. Like that's, it's like amazing. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have asked for a better, a way to kind of start. Melanie, did you want to talk a bit about with Milani's house or just how the way that that art department or 
things that we tried to get to show it to be from a Samoan family with the little things about the house that um, helps you with your character or, or acting on the day? Oh, one thing they did to really try and get me in the zone was to use my family pictures. So all the frame pictures that were in Milani's house were actually of my real family, um, which was triggering. <laughs> um, so it, it did its job. And I actually took the frame pictures home and they're hanging in my room now. But yeah, that was just like a nice little touch by the art department that I would just never thought of. Like it's cool to come in and not know anything about the industry and then find out the different departments and, and the things they do and like just the detail that they that they go into, like things that you don't even notice. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Can you speak a bit about our world and, and I guess the juggle act that we do as children of immigrants? like the generational gap in between and and I guess what our parents expectations are of us versus like what we actually want to do I feel like I never really had certain expectations of what is expected of me like kind of from my dad because my dad's quite a traditional Samoan man um he soon realized that I have a mind of my own and I'm not gonna listen so he gave up that very quickly um but I was raised by my auntie and my uncle who's Balangi so I feel like because of that I wasn't brought up in the most traditional Samoan way so I can't really speak to that as much but they were quite open to me doing whatever I wanted to do with my future so long as I got good grades through high school and I graduated that's all that really mattered to them. Yeah. Oh, I guess um, you know, with my family, my uh, my mum's palang, I'm I'm a Havagasi. So I mean, I think with dad, it was always just education was key, and then the next thing was whatever makes you happy. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was really nice, and we're kind of lucky to not have any huge kind of expectations. My mum's always been like, you gotta do, but um, not specifically like we needed to be like lawyers or anything and I've been in the arts world for like over 25 years now so she's kind of given up on me getting like a real job (laughs) they're cool with it Johnny because of what your dad went through did you feel like he was able to do the same for you like sort of let you be whatever you wanted to be or yeah 100% um and that's what I've always said too it's because of the work that they did you know, that allows us now to live. Now we're able to have choice. We're allowed to have choices. We're allowed to be an actor and be a director and be a producer because of what they did and standing up to be for equal rights, for brown people to be treated equally. I'm very lucky and very blessed to be born into that family where I was loved and supported. And all they said to me was education was key. Just do your best. Just try your best. Just do your best. That's all you can do. But allowed to dream and be free and to whatever I wanted to do, I was supported in that way. So, yeah. I wanted to also talk about the institutional racism, specifically in that scene where Harvey Lee gets overlooked for the promotion to hit the task force and instead it's given to his Balani partner. Where What was that like, I guess, for you have any things to add to that, Lani and Joni? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that just really kind of was good to have like a really obvious, this is what's going on here. This is the situation. And the fight back then was so huge to have any kind of equal footing. It was huge back then. And it's still evident even now and today. So I do feel like we need to actually keep that fight going. They started it, they kicked it off and they did a lot of groundwork. But actually some of that groundwork isn't being continued because some of the same shit is still happening. And it's like people actually need to be reminded we are equal. We, we are not a less than, you know, especially in our TV and film industry world. It's still a thing. You know, the structure on set, it's still a thing. And so they did such a good job to highlight it and, and kind of initiate it and bring it. And there's still a fight to keep going. Eight girls. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything to add, Lani or Joni? I haven't really experienced something on the level of Hubby Lee, but I think when you're brown, you just already know like that you have to be extraordinary. You can't just be great. You have to be extraordinary to get recognized. I always, wherever I go, whatever space I enter, I just kind of have that in mind to front the possibility of when I got a scholarship for AUT, I got a full scholarship and one of my friends was like, oh yeah, well, you're Pacific Islander, so of course you got one. I was like, oh, cool. But it was fully based on my NCA rank score so it was all academic and leadership based it had nothing to do with being a PI I actually didn't get the PI scholarship that I'd applied for I got that other one instead so it's like people always try to find a way to discredit your work so just ignore it that's right and you know that's what we face every day there's always these little underhanded comments you know people will try and put you down but they're smiling at you and so you know we're all smart enough to pick it up a couple of weeks ago, my little brother, who's you know 26, he was at Countdown. He was with his wife and baby at the checkout counter. And there was a Balagi woman in front of him. And she was going to pay for her groceries with the EPOS card. And she looked at my brother and said to the woman at the, check, uh, the checkout operator, she goes, oh, no, I don't want to do my pin in front of him. And so oh my God. he's like a youth pastor. And... <laughs> My brother was just like, wow. And so when he posted it, I just, I couldn't say anything either. That was, so racism still exists. And like Lani said, you know, we have to keep calling it out. You know, we have to let them know it's not right. Because let's face it, I mean, racism is a biology problem. Just saying. It's tiring. Like, it is tiring to feel like you're the one that's responsible for how to be a decent human being. Like, last week, I got accused of stealing at New World um, at the self-checkout. And then, like, an employee, he must have been clocking out. He was on the next self-checkout doing his stuff. And we finished our groceries at the same time. So we were walking out. And then he was looking at me. And I was like kind of looking at him awkwardly. And then he was like, oh, can I just ask to see your receipt? And I was like, um, yeah. And he was like, it's just because I saw you walk right through the checkouts. You didn't pay for those. And I was like, I was literally right beside you. And he's like, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. And I was like, yes, I was, because I heard how you have to leave work early today to pick up your son, Jackson. And he looked at me. He was so embarrassed. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. And obviously he was just stressed that I was going to go complain. And I think normally I would, but I was just so fed up because it's like, 
now you're putting it on me to take time out of my day to fix your mistake. Like, no. And I just, mm-hmm. I like the way that you handled it. It's tiring. And sometimes you just want to break. Pick your battles, eh? Yeah. I fully understand that perspective as well. But also, too, like, some people <clears throat> just honestly just don't even know, like, don't even recognize. And yeah. unless someone tells them, Oi, that's not fair or that's not like the way it should be they're going to continue to like do the same old shit and think the same old way and I think you know with having programs like this on tv it's just that mm-hmm. education I mean programs that are still getting funded that shouldn't be funded that put brown people in a really horrible light and it's just like what, what the hell like we're five steps forward and now 10 steps back Calling out people is not everyone, not this stupid checkout guy, but people in positions where they should know better. They should know better, you know, but it's hard to do that. It's hard to call out people in those places because, you know, a lot of repercussions and shit. It is hard, but, you know, if we look at the Panthers and what they did, they just jumped in and did it. They never thought about the consequences and stuff like that. So that's what they wanted with the TV show was, you know, to show other people that they did that. So, you know, we all can too. But, yeah, it is tiring. Sometimes you pick your battles, but... Facebook was the worst place to check out once Panthers came out. Like all the clips that are being released on TVNZ, my interviews that got released on Facebook, the comments were ridiculous and they were just like, obviously from racists, but they were trying to defend themselves in a way like they were saying like, we're not racist because da 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 the necessity of the show, like the irony is just insane. And, and the way that these people have, eyes it's just like it's mind-boggling still as soon as you hear the word i'm not a racist but like (laughs) oh and it's funny because that's on the panthers um on that radio show that scene like there's people calling in saying i'm not a racist but so it's funny yeah they need to watch that and then can be a mirror to them hopefully yeah, when I lived in Australia because the way that they dealing or not dealing or in denial with the way that they treat the indigenous people of that land every day I was always constantly educating people like all the time because I felt that they're about 20 years behind and so every day and then it just got like months and months and I was like tired like someone would say something and someone would comment and I'd be like okay <laughs> And, you know, do this, like, blah, 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 blah. And some people would get it. And some people, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then some people would just, I could tell when I was talking to them that it completely just glossed over them. They weren't even listening. I was like, I'm just wasting my time and my breath now. I just, like, mm-hmm. Lani, I was like, you know, yeah. the, energy, the energy that you're putting into educating people, it's necessary, but some people are not open to it. You can tell who is open for a discussion and who will not care how many facts or experiences you'll bring up. They just have their own mind and, and then mm. which is so unfortunate. It, it's kind of scary. I was watching YouTube and I was watching this guy. He's an African-American man and he goes on Omegle. Every white American that jumps up calls him the N-word. Like it is disgusting. And there was one horrible, there was a little girl that came up next because he skipped and went to the next one. It was a little girl. She's no older than five. And the first thing she said was the N-word and was giggling. No. Obvious that her parents were behind the screen telling her to say it. It's just like, 
terrifying to know that there are people like that out there. Like I think we mm. surround ourselves with so many like-minded people. Like our friends genuinely have the same kind of morals and values as ourselves. And once we step outside of that circle, you actually come to realize that the world isn't as wonderful or as, as mm. open as we think it is, which is very scary. What was one of like the most wholesome moments on set? Like what were some of your favorite moments if you have any? Um, my most wholesome moment was before we got on set and it's when I'd just been cast as Milani and we were in the production offices and then down the hallway I heard Rocky, Villa and Demetrius singing We Are The Champions down the hallway to me. Um, <laughs> congratulate me for getting the role because they've been looking for Milani for quite a while. So that was really, really nice of the boys. Um, yeah. Say congrats to me like that. That's nice. Yeah. But any there? I guess I've got a few. <laughs> but you know, kind of like pre-shoot, it was actually, I guess, Demetrius getting the role and you, Lani, getting your role because you know I had had contact with Demetrius back when he was at high school and playing rugby. And I remember him coming to me because we were doing this filmmaking workshop. So he, it was about filmmaking and he was the cameraman, I think, but he acted in it. And I was like, you should get into acting because, you know, you, you've got the, the face for it <laughs> and, and the dedication because I could tell that he was like a, a hard worker. And then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give you some contact, email me and I'll give you some contact. But, you know, 